Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Hey, it's an absolute pleasure and a privilege to be with you. This is outside of our church. This is our second church home. We love you guys. I think uh, Pastor Darren and Pastor Bronnie are the greatest pastors in the world. And uh, you guys are so privileged. You know, every time we speak to them, their heartbeat is you. It's everyday Aussies that would meet an extraordinary God. And uh, I want to thank them for having us again. Uh, I want to thank Bronwyn. You may think that Darren is one, in one of your other locations this morning. I'm hoping that he's actually at home in prayer and repentance. Because Daz has been one of my friends. He's been like a big brother to me for a long time. And last night he broke my heart as he convinced my daughters to go for Sydney Swans instead of the Carlton Football Club. The Carlton Football Club has been in misery and degradation for about 20 years, but we are on the rise again in Jesus' name. It's going to be a comeback story, and Darren has robbed my children from the joy of being a part of that. So hopefully, Daz, you're at home in repentance, wearing sackcloth and ashes in Jesus' name. Hey, come on, let's get into the Bible this morning. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And it says this, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because the crowd was so large. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. They lowered the man on a mat right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sin. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus returned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Come on, let's pray. God, I just ask that in this short time we have together this morning, that God, your spirit would take your word for each and every one of us and it might become alive like never before. Lord, I ask as we spend this time gathered around you that, that our understanding of who you are might be lifted, God, that we would get a greater revelation of just who you are, but also that we might get an understanding, that we might get a conviction, that we might get a passion for who we are called and equipped to be in response to you, God, as your church on the face of the earth today and everyone said amen. amen have you ever been misunderstood yeah it's a common experience isn't it all those that are married in the house said yes been misunderstood once or twice 
excuse me. When I was in one of the countries that we love to serve in, their language is an ancient language, and the difference between some of the words are just tonal. It's very difficult for us as a Westerner to pick up on how to pronounce the words. It's incredibly tonal. But how, do, how many of us know that the difference between two words can create an almighty difference in outcome? In our culture, one of the things that we love to do is share a meal together, right? I love having friends and family over and just sitting around a table and sharing a food. You feel closer when you've spent time sharing a meal. Well, in this culture, they love to share a meal as well. Only usually, if you're the guest of honour, the, the family don't sit and eat with you, but they serve you while you eat. Now, I felt so awkward the first time this occurred to me, being an Aussie. Like, we're incredibly egalitarian, right? It's like, hey, come sit with us, eat with us, be, be at one with us. But in their culture, I had to understand that it was a, a great privilege, and they were honouring me by sitting me down and just serving me food. And I struggled with it for a moment until I tasted the food. <laughs> it was good. It was curry the way curry's supposed to be made. Hot coming in and hot a couple of hours later, if you know what I mean. It was good. And, and, and so they're serving us this incredible meal and just piling my plate up and I'm watching it get bigger and bigger and I begin to have an existential crisis thinking I'm over here doing missions. I'm over here to serve a people who, who aren't as privileged as I am and don't have the resource that I have and I'm eating one of the biggest lunches that I've ever eaten in my life. Again, I, I felt mildly guilty for a moment, then I just enjoyed it. I'm having this great meal. And then the wife of the family came along holding some more curry. And I thought I would be clever and ingratiate myself to them by using the word that says enough. It's only tonally different from the word that says put. <laughs> and if you want more food, you don't say, yes, I'll have some more, please. It's an ancient language. You often just speak in simple terms. You just point to your plate and say, put, put. I thought I was saying enough, enough, but I was saying put, put. And so, yes, pastor, yes, pastor. And I'm like, no, 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 enough, enough, yes. And my plate got bigger and bigger. Oh, by the end of that meal, I was sweating curry. I was so uncomfortable. I was afraid that as I stood up, things were just going to start going everywhere. And I'm having these thoughts of going, oh my goodness, here I am. I've come to share the truth of Jesus. I've come to share the victory that we have in our Savior. And here I am in sin and degradation, indulging in gluttony to its very core. We can be so misunderstood at times. You know, Jesus was a man who was constantly misunderstood. And in this story, we have something take place where Jesus makes it crystal clear to those that were present at that time. And I believe if we can get a hold of this in our heart today, church, he can make it crystal clear to us who he was, that we wouldn't misunderstand what's going on here because it will radically change what we think about Jesus, but also what we think about us as followers of Jesus and what we're called to do in response to it. We see this story taking place in Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus kind of made his home base. How amazing is it that the, the Prince of Heaven came down and Scriptures tell us he didn't have a home of his own. But he made home base here. It, it's, it's probable that this is Peter, the disciple's house in Capernaum. 
And this is where Jesus has been off ministering and he comes back and he begins to minister to the people here and, and his fame is beginning to spread, his popularity. I mean, what a teacher, hey, that he's teaching at home and there's so many people gathered to hear him that you can't even get into the house anymore. The house might seem quite strange to us, but it's not a style of home that we'd see in Australia, but regularly we'd see it on the subcontinent, places like that. It's a, a, a sort of a, a smaller house and it's kind of, if you can imagine, just a rectangle. It's got a flat roof, square walls, and on the top of the house, on the roof, they'll put branches and then they put thatch and then they cover it in mud and let it dry. And they'll just do layer on layer on layer until it becomes like hardened tiles. And on that flat roof, it's kind of like the Aussie veranda. So we know Capernaum was a fishing village. And I, I imagine that Peter and his mates, they'd come back after work and they'd have fish and chips in their flip-flops sitting up on their veranda in the cool breeze of the evening. And it was a place to relax and it was a place that you would easily access. And so these men, they've brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And he's a man in great need. There was no NDIS back in these times. And so this man who was paralyzed, the only way that he could earn a living was either begging or being looked after by his family. And so he's got an incredible need. And his friends bring him to Jesus, that this, this great teacher, this miracle worker might be able to do something for him. And they get there, and can you imagine carrying your friend on a mat to come and see the miracle worker and then being disappointed by the size of the crowd that you just can't even get in? And so at that point, they decide to get creative. And they go up on the roof, and the Bible says that they start to dig through the roof and put a hole in the roof. Now, I've had the privilege of planning churches. You know, one of the, one of the joys in, in a setting like this is that kids' church is happening over the road. And so we don't have a thousand children making a lot of noise while we're trying to preach. And how many of you know that when you're planning churches, you don't necessarily always have kids' church happening at the same time? Kids are in service. Maybe you have that at special events and it is special and all the parents said amen. You're trying to listen to the preacher and feed your child and keep this one quiet and wipe this one's nose all at the same time. And as a preacher, I love families. I love being in a place where there is young people in life. So I've learned not to give a rip about that noise unless it's my own kids. But that is a noise as a pastor you just can't ignore. And, you, you know, because I'm a modern new age guy, I would never think anything wrong, but I'll be preaching away and just giving it my all and I can hear my kids and I'm getting distracted and one of them's crying and, you know, I just want to be real gracious and kind and secretly say to my wife, will you deal with that woman? <laughs> Imagine being Jesus, you're preaching to this crowd and all of a sudden there's some scratching in the roof. Now, if that happened to us today, we'd be like, oh, mice plague. <laughs> and then the scratching continues and all of a sudden, like, I don't know whether a stick or a shovel or something comes through. I'm wondering, because as I read these stories, hey, can I encourage you, as you read the Word of God, let's never read the humanity out of it. Like the Bible only makes sense if we see it as both, if we see the divinity in it and we see the humanity in it. You read either one of those out of Scripture and it gets real weird and real ugly real quick. And so I'm reading this story and thinking, like, Peter, Peter's the guy, remember, when Jesus gets crucified, he cuts a dude's ear off. Like, he's hardly a shrinking violet. This is probably his house, maybe his family home, his mother's home, and Jesus is teaching, and suddenly there's some yobbo up on the roof digging a hole. And Peter's trying to get out there. The crowd's holding him back. I also wonder at what point, like, the hole had to get big enough to lower a guy down on a mat. I wonder at what point they're sort of digging away and, you know, just a head pops through. 
carry on, Jesus, we'll be with you in a minute. <laughs> they, they just keep going. But eventually they, they lower this man down into Jesus. They lower him in front of Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus, seeing their faith, decides to heal the man. Church, I want to encourage you today that our role in the body of Christ sometimes, our role as people who are followers of Jesus is to have faith for our friends. Can I encourage you that missions, whatever you might think it is, whether you think it's about fundraising, whether you think it's about caring for the poor, whether you think it's about planting churches, sometimes missions is as simple as saying, I'm going to have faith for my friends. That, that if my friend is, is paralysed by circumstances, if my friend is spiritually paralysed because of things that have occurred to them, maybe there's been hurt or there's been pain or there's been mistakes, it doesn't really matter why, but something's caused my friend to just cram up in their world and they can't take steps toward Jesus anymore. That missions is saying, I will stand in the gap and have faith when my friend can't have faith. That, that maybe Jesus would see my faith when they don't have any. I wonder if that would just radically change the way we even prayed. Like, like before we think about the mission field far off, even if we just thought for a moment about our own communities, how do we pray for our town? Do we pray a little bit like Abraham and be like, God, God, even if you just find one righteous, oh, wanna, oh, oh God, will you bless the town? Or do we pray like, God, deal with them? Are we standing in the gap for our town and saying, God, they might be a faithless generation, but see my faith on their behalf. Would you see my faith and move because of my faith for my people in Tamworth, the people that I love for my neighbours. God, they might be far from you right now. They might not have faith yet. They might be bound and paralysed. But would you see my faith and would that move your heart, God, for them? That's what these men do because Jesus says, that, oh, I think it's absolutely mind-blowing that the Scripture doesn't say he saw the man's faith. He says he saw their faith. He was moved collectively by their faith. This is the very story of missions. And then Jesus says this incredible thing. He says in verse 5, My child, your sins are forgiven. What? I mean, first of all, there's nothing to indicate that this is a small child. But Jesus takes this language which puts himself in a position of authority. And he says, my child, your sins are forgiven. How many of us know that we need to be like a child when we come to God? You know, two of my daughters are old enough now to cotton on that dad can't do everything. In fact, they've even cottoned on that dad's football team sucks. But I was so heartened this morning when my youngest daughter told me, oh, I still go for Carlton. Because in her mind, dad's pretty awesome still. Dad goes for Carlton, they must be all right. Live by faith and not by sight, my child. Have you noticed that? Like the way a child looks at dad, it's like you're able to do this. I think when we're called to have faith like a child, it is not that we are to turn off our intellect. It is not that we are not to study the Word of God. It's not that we are not to study culture. It's not that we are not to wrestle with the hard things of Scripture and use our gifts and our mindset. But it is that we are to realize that we are children in the presence of God and that as we look at him, he's a father who is well able to do what we would ask and hope for. And so Jesus says to this guy, your sins are forgiven. And what happens? The teachers and the, those that know the, the law are like, blasphemy! What is he saying? 
Only God in heaven can forgive sins. Now we have hindsight at the end of the story. I don't blame these guys for being a little bit freaked out by that. Like even an Old Testament prophet, look at in places like 2 Samuel, he declares, the Lord has put away your sin. And the Old Testament priests would stand in between the people and God and offer sacrifice on their behalf. But here Jesus has the audacity to say, I forgive your sin, that your sins are forgiven. He doesn't declare God is going to forgive your sin. He doesn't declare God has put your sins aside. He declares sins forgiven. Blasphemy. What is he up to? Does Jesus have the authority to do that? Verse 9, Jesus says this, Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Fair question, right? Like at the end of the day, if Jesus says to this man, your sins are forgiven, we can't prove whether it worked or not. Not until eternity, at least. We can't prove whether the guy's sins are really gone. Did it work, Jesus? Are his sins really forgiven? You really, like Jesus like, hey, what's easier to say that or to say get up off your mat and walk? And he says this, verse 10. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. If Jesus just says your sins are forgiven and has no demonstration of his authority and power, it would be so easy to dismiss Jesus as some nut job prophet who just went a little bit too far, who started taking on the position of God and taking on things that he didn't have the right to do. But Jesus wanted to make it crystal clear. He wants nobody from this moment forward, right through now, church, to where we stand in the present moment, to ever be confused, to ever misunderstand, to ever not quite get it right, that Jesus Christ has the authority to forgive sin. And that's not a little thing. And so Jesus goes beyond the physical need that this man had. And I find that surprising too. At no point does it say that the men asked Jesus to forgive his sin, but they saw their faith, he saw their orientation towards him, and he was moved by it, and he declared their sin forgiven. And Jesus refers to himself here. He says, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. Isn't that an interesting title to give yourself? Well, this is Jesus, the Prince of Heaven. I'm going to prove to you that God's only begotten son has the ability to forgive sin. He says, no, I'm going to prove to you that the son of man can forgive sin. In fact, the son of man was the most common way that Jesus referred to himself. Now, I've heard it said that the main reason for that was because Jesus is so humble. And I don't doubt that Jesus was a humble man. But you've got to remember the context and the people that Jesus was speaking to in this crowd were people who knew the law and the prophets back to front. And when Jesus would often quote, and sometimes it's missed on us as Westerners, right? Because we think we're doing pretty good to be able to quote John 3.16. Nailed it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever will believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Give me a degree right now. I know the Bible. These guys knew the Bible, right? And so sometimes when we're reading through the New Testament, Jesus will make a statement and he is saying so much more than we realize. Let's not, be, let's not be deaf to the tone of what Jesus is really saying in this moment. Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 to 24 is a prophecy and this is what it says. And everybody there, especially the teachers of the law, they knew the prophecy and they knew what Jesus was getting at. 
Daniel chapter 7, 13, 24, it says, I saw in the night visions and behold, the clouds of heaven. There came one like a son of man and he came into the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, all nations, all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one which shall not be destroyed. And Jesus is declaring to everyone present that kingdom has arrived and I am the son of man and I have dominion and authority right now to declare to this man that your sin, your brokenness, everything that would paralyze you and hold you back from having a relationship with God right now, authority has come on the face of earth to say dealt with in Jesus name. That's what Jesus was saying in this moment. And church, I want to encourage you today that if you have things in your life that have held you paralysed, if there are things in your past that have you bound up that you don't feel you can get beyond, if there are weaknesses and struggles that you don't even want your best friend to know about and you just think, when will somebody come and save me from this? When will someone have the authority to help me through this? Well, good news, the Son of Man has come and He has declared His kingdom and His dominion and his authority, and it is he who declares over your life today, you are forgiven in Jesus' name. This is the very heartbeat of mission. This is what Jesus did as he hung on the cross and he demonstrated as he looked to the faith that was with him and he said, today you can be with me in paradise. As he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do because one had finally arrived who had authority to declare to men and women, boys and girls right across the face of our world that we do not have to be paralysed in a system of sin and shame anymore, but we can be set free free once and for all and the one who has authority declared it has declared it and to prove it he then turns back to the man and says I'll prove that I've got power I'll demonstrate to you so that all generations will know that I have power to forgive sin that nobody needs sit in their chair in Tamworth wondering does God really have the ability to forgive my sin can Jesus really take away the guilt and the shame for the things I've done? Can I really live free from these deep down? Can I live free from all the games of trying to earn my own salvation? Really? Jesus says, I'll prove it. Man, get up your mat and walk out of here. And the Bible says he didn't just limp up. He didn't just crawl his way up, but he jumped up with a joy in his heart to demonstrate the authority and the victory that Jesus has bought and that Jesus had. And he walked out out of there healed and whole. Can somebody say amen to that this morning? How incredible is our God? And so the question for us this morning is where do we locate ourselves in this story? Where do we locate ourselves in this story? Are you spiritually paralyzed? Are you in need of a miracle of healing and release? What if we could really just stop all the struggling, all the games, all the mental gymnastics to try and uh, you know, get rid of or appease or explain away our faults and faults. What if all of that could stop? And instead, Jesus could enter and say, all authority has been given to me and I declare forgiveness in your life. Or, or what if we've already been set free? What if we've had the absolute privilege and joy of being set free by Jesus? What, maybe we've received our freedom. And the question is today, what are we doing with the freedom that Christ has bought us? 
What are we doing with this incredible gift of salvation? What are we doing with the freedom of not having to have weight of sin and shame and separation from God in our life, that we can get up every morning and know that there is a Creator in heaven that loves us, that we're able to live beyond circumstance, that we're able to live with true joy in our spirit, that even when tough times come, that we can be the fastest people on the face of the planet to return to joy because it's a fruit growing inside of our lives as we hang out with our God and our Creator. What are we doing with that? Well, I want to challenge and encourage us this morning that we would be like these four men. That we would be a people who have faith for our friends. People who have faith for their friends are a people who say missions isn't just something we do, it's how we live. It doesn't matter whether we're doing missions in a far-flung nation or whether we're doing missions for our neighbour next door. It is the very way that we live in response to the authority that God has and what He's done and declared in our lives. That we'd be a people who were there when no one else is there. Do you know in this time that there was a thought that if you had something like you were paralysed, that either you or your forefathers had sinned greatly and that's why you were paralysed? But there is shame attached to this. There is no NDIS, but there is shame. And yet these men were there for him. We don't know the whole story. We don't know why they were there for him, why they went above and beyond. But I tell you what, we should be inspired by it. I wonder in our community, where are the people where there's shame attached to their situation? Shame attached to their brokenness. The people that society wants to look down upon and not understand. I wonder whether we'd be a people who say, oh God, they, they might be broken in their shame. People might be looking down on them. That might be keeping them paralysed and their faith isn't able to grow in that environment. But God, would you see my faith on their behalf? Would you begin to move in their world as I put my hand up and say, God, I want to have faith for my friends. What would it look like in your world to be there where nobody else will be there? Not to be a person who gives snap judgments or quick fixes, but really walks alongside and carries people. Would we be a people that care enough to be inconvenienced? Care enough to be inconvenienced. Like these guys, they, they've, they've carried their friend on a mat and then the crowd's too big to get to Jesus. They don't go, oh, well, buddy, we'll leave you there. The crowd's got to dissipate at some point. <laughs> Catch in a while. I've done my bit. I've ticked my box. But they take him up on the roof and they decide to start. The gall of these guys. I wonder if we'd be so radical to sometimes do some unconventional things that made people raise their eyebrows and think, what are you doing? Are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed to dig holes in somebody else's roof to get somebody to Jesus? These guys are like, we don't care whether we're allowed to do it. We're going to do it because we've got to get our friend in the presence of Jesus. We've got to have faith for our friend. Even if he can't have faith for himself, if he can't get there on his own, we're going to get him there. You see, our job is not to convince people of who Jesus is, but to help them encounter Jesus himself. I wonder what, what does it look like in, in our world right now to begin digging some holes in some roofs? Where do we need to get a little bit unconventional, a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit radical, a little bit out of our box to say, I'm going to take people into the presence of Jesus because I know the authority that he has. I know the victory that he's won. I've experienced it and I want other people to experience that as well. I wonder what it would be like to work together. I love the fact that it says he saw their faith. There was a collection of people working together together. 
you know, that's really what the local church is about. It's that we would come together and pull our time and our resources to magnify our God so that people would be drawn unto him. But we've got to have a love and a passion for the local church, right? I think it's impossible to say, I want to be somebody who introduces people to Jesus, but I'm going to do it on my own because I don't like the church. Saying that I love Jesus, but I don't love His church is like saying, I love you, Caleb, but your wife, (laughs) take her or leave her. I'm going to be a little bit offended by that. She's my bride. She's the love of my life. I would lay down my life for her in a heartbeat. In fact, every day I'm learning more and more not to physically die to her, for her, but to die to my selfish desires and my own ways and my own passions that I might see her flourish. Why do I live like that? Because every day I'm learning more and more that's who God is for me. That's who God is for His church. And we need to love His church and work together and come together. And what would it look like if we put some of the little silly stuff aside and got a little bit unconventional together and took risks together and got over barriers together and got inconvenienced together so that for somebody who's out there and paralysed and far from God and doesn't yet realise that Jesus has come, that the authority of heaven has come to earth and He has declared on the cross of Calvary that my arms are open and that sins for all mankind can be forgiven what if there's somebody out there that doesn't know that yet and if we would just get together and if we just be inconvenienced and if we just be unconventional then we can declare to God look at our faith look at our faith we've got faith for our friend God don't give up on them yet start moving in their world God it might be another nation that is far from you the whole system of that nation might be set up according to false gods that are far from you but God I love the people I know the people I've got faith for the people God I'm putting my hand up and saying God see my faith and move on my behalf for them because I love you, I've experienced you and I want to see you move in their lives and bring freedom to them as well. That is the story of the church. That is the story of missions and we have the authority to do it because the one who had all authority has come and at the very end as he rose, he said, all authority in heaven and earth I now discharge to you to achieve my mission. Church, we have the authority. I want to encourage you. Whatever barrier you might come against, whatever obstacle there is, whatever challenge there is, whether it's finances, resources, culture, COVID, it doesn't matter. We've been given the authority by the one who has authority to have faith for our friends and to see the goodness of God move on the face of our earth in Jesus' Name. And so I ask you again this morning as I close, where do you locate yourself in this story? Are you in need of an encounter with Jesus today? Do you need to know that all authority on heaven has declared sins forgiven because of what Jesus Christ has done? Then I wonder this morning whether you would have the courage to just respond to Jesus. Say, yeah, I have faith. I have faith. Come on, will you stand with me this morning? Or maybe you're here this morning and you say, yeah, you know what? I'm somebody who I've experienced. I have experienced it. I know that Jesus has spoken over my life, sins forgiven. I know the freedom that His authority has brought into my life and I'm walking in it. But I want to walk like never before as somebody that would have faith for my friends. Would we be mobilised this morning, church? 
not just for world missions, but for your mission field, wherever that might be. It might be your family, it might be your workplace, it might be your school, it might be the, the community here in Tamworth. It may be overseas, it may be with the Horizon Project, it may be with another community. I don't really give a rip. What I'd love to see is a group of people that would say, yeah, I'm going to be one of those that has faith for friends in Jesus' Name. Come on, can we pray together this morning? Lord, I just pray right now that You begin to stir something in our hearts, that we would see who we are called and equipped to be in response to You, that we'd see that the One who has dominion and authority has spoken and He has declared sins forgiven for all who would come to Him in faith. And so we come to You in faith, Jesus, and we say, will You count us among those who have their sin forgiven, that full authority would speak over all the brokenness, shame, guilt, junk, hurt in our lives and declare it forgiven, dealt with once and for all, that we would not play those games that keep us in bondage as we try and work our sin away. And instead, God, I see a, I see a movement in front of me of everyday Aussies who are putting their hand up and saying, I want to have faith for friends. I want to be somebody who doesn't try and convince everybody through weird arguments that Jesus lives, but incarnates the very message of Jesus and takes people to an encounter with you. And if we've got to get out of obstacles, if we've got to be inconvenienced, if we've got to come together and get over our own hurts and hang-ups, if we've got to get a little bit radical and put some holes in some roofs, then Jesus, we say, let us be your church. Let us be a people who have faith for friends in Jesus' Name. And everyone said... Amen and amen. God bless you, church. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.